This is a Woodside Church podcast. Good morning. Good to see all of you. Um, On this Remembrance Day, God has put into my heart to share with you part of our collective mission as being followers of Jesus Christ, and that is living witnesses of God's love. Living witnesses of God's love wherever we are, in whatever we do in this life. We are all living witnesses of God's love. For the past two years, I've been here in this church uh, we have had so many messages, so many prophecies, so many testimonies of what God has been doing, what God is doing, and what God is about to do in our midst and through our fellowship with him and with one another. Um, if anybody has not been here for a few weeks, we have just finished the first part of our serious love. And this is where we we talk about so many topics, address so many difficult, challenging uh, issues that we have in our society today. And one of the things we see when we talk about this and when God speaks to us in different ways is actually God preparing us for our mission, our collective mission of being living witnesses of God's love and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the word of God reminds us that we are witnesses. We are living witnesses of God's love and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we remember this because God has given us this mission. When we look back to the generations of faithful followers of Jesus, when we see what God has done for them, and through them. We are challenged today that this is our generation and we have to stand for the truth of the gospel. And we, we remember this now because Jesus himself has said this to disciples, to his disciples in another occasion, saying that as the Father sent me, I am sending you. So this is the mission that Jesus sent all of us to this world to be living witnesses. Now, to be a living witness means to live the life and the calling that God wants us to live. And to be part of this collective mission, we need also to remember that we act in God's love in whatever we do in this life. Or we imitate Jesus how he lives, and how we live our lives based on this calling. And Jesus' last instructions to the disciples, to his disciples, were relating to the issue of being witnesses. He tells them the last words, that you will be my witnesses. You will go to the old world and make disciples and teach them uh, and baptize them. And he also promised them, 
that when the Holy Spirit comes, you will be powerful witnesses. And in um, the, the book of Acts chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 8, gives us exactly this promise, as it says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. This is our calling. This is what we need to do, all of us, despite of whatever we do in this life, is our calling. And now we are not the only one. We are not actually starting something new. When we look back to the generations of witnesses before us, we see them all. The church history is full of people of God working with God. And even before the New Testament, we have God working with his people. We are just part of this mission. But the only difference is that we are the people who have to do it now. This is our generation. This is you and me to continue this mission to the end of the world. Now, the first witnesses, when we look back to the generations of witnesses, we see, for example, the first church in Jerusalem, the first disciples, the 12, the apostles, and then we see then the church in other places after, afterwards. The Bible says about them in the book of Acts chapter 4, beginning from verse 32. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. And now this is the heart of what God is telling us. With great power, the apostle continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was powerfully at work in all of them. In other words, God, through his power, he has given this small group of Christians power to go and change the world. And that's why we have the gospel today. And now because of this gospel, for example, when we look to the 12 apostles, we know that they were just ordinary men, fishermen, people who are not important at all in the society. And because of Jesus, their lives were transformed and they became witnesses, powerful witnesses, to go to the end of the world. They were ordinary men, but because of God's power, they were chained. And now, let's see also the secret. When Jesus was born, actually, uh, the first people to hear the message, the good news, were shepherds. People were just moving around with their cattle. They didn't actually know what was happening in the society. These are the ordinary people, like all of us, who are turned to be powerful witnesses to go to the whole world and preach the gospel. And this is the truth that God always entrusts ordinary people, people who have nothing than Jesus to go and change the world. And one of the things that we know about this mission, when we read the word of Jesus in Luke chapter 10, and this is where Jesus sent the, the 72 disciples two by two. 
He sent them and gave them instructions, what to do, what not to do. And as part of that, they went, and it happens exactly. They came back and reported to Jesus. They said, even the evil spirits obey our commands. We remember Jesus tells them here that don't rejoice because this is what has, this has happened to you. This is part of the mission that I've given you. But instead rejoice, your name are written in the book of life. And then, at this point, the Bible says, when they came back and reported what has happened to them, Jesus, in uh, verse 21 of the book of Luke, chapter 10, says, the, the Bible says, at that point, at that time, Jesus, full of, of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed and reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. And this is Jesus saying that, Father, you have revealed these things to people who have nothing else than knowing the truth of the gospel. Because in this passage as well, Jesus says that there were kings, very important people in the history, who wanted to see what you see now, but they couldn't see it. So this is uh, a message that God has given us. Now, beside the first Christian believers, the first church, the first missionaries, the first and every generation that has passed, we have also other witnesses we have in the Bible. And these are witnesses. They didn't have anything else than knowing Jesus and having the testimony to go to the world. One of them is what we call the demon-possessed man in Gospel of Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. This is the man, the Bible says, that was possessed by demons, soldiers of demons, legions of demons, and Legions of demons are thousands, thousands of demons possess one single person. And the, the legion was, was the, the largest unit in the Roman army, consists of 3,000 to 6,000 soldiers. Imagine that all these soldiers of demons possess one man and control one man. And as a result, the Bible says that he used to live in tombs. Graveyard, where dead people are. Day and night, he cried out and wounded himself with his stones. And I always think why this man was crying out, what he was saying. Maybe he was saying, help, help, somebody help me. Help me, I'm dying. Or maybe he was saying that I'm dead already. I want somebody to bury me, to be with my friends who are living in these tombs. But here we see the difference between God's will and the will of the devil, the evil one. The devil wants to control people. But Jesus free people. Hallelujah. Jesus' goal is to free people. And because of Jesus, this man was free. And all the army of the devil gone. 
And when the people came from the village or from the town, the first thing they saw was the man that was crying day and night, dressed, sitting, and mindful. And people were amazed. So what they requested from Jesus, they said, can you leave our territory, please? In other words, can you leave? And one of the things that happened after this, the man who has just been freed by God asked Jesus that I want to go with you. And Jesus said, no. And this is, these are the words that Jesus said to him. Now, uh, that's from verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged Jesus. He begged Jesus to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home. Go to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has been merciful to you. So, the man went away and began to tell in all the area of Disapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And the Bible says, and all people were amazed. Wow, how, what a powerful witness. A man just was a few minutes ago dead, almost dead crying day and night for help. His help, he's free. And instead of Jesus to go with him, because actually this is a man that has not yet attended one single service of Christian service, or one single Bible study, or even the Lord's Prayer. He doesn't know yet. And Jesus tells him to go and witness. Go to your people. Tell them what God has done for you. And the Bible says that everybody was amazed. I don't even know why people were amazed. But we know that because the Bible says he was almost dead. And his family tried to chain him. But he broke all the chain. So he would have been a well-known madman in the town. But suddenly he began to witness. And everybody was amazed. He's not actually the only witness we have in the Bible. We have many of them. But one of them I want to mention here. He's also what we call the blind man in John chapter 9, as we read verses 1 to 25. This is the man that was born blind. And this man, this, you remember the, the, the disciples asked Jesus about this man. Whose sin is this that he's blind? And this is basically somebody has to be blamed why this man is blind or was born blind. But anyway, this is the man, when Jesus passed by, opened his eyes and was asked to go and watch in the pool. Now, what happens? Jesus continued his mission, and the man began to see, and suddenly ended up being investigated by religious leaders, telling him, do you know the man that opened your eyes? He said, no. Do you know how evil is that man? I don't know. Do you know where he comes from? 
I don't know. Have you seen him? Have not seen him? Investigation. And he began to witness within this investigation, telling them the truth. And they asked him, do you want us to be his disciples? He said, no, but you are asking me, and I'm answering your questions. Now, when the, when the investigation went that long, he decided to tell them the truth, the bottom line of what he is right now. And he says, he replied, verse 25, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't really know. This is about Jesus. Because they were actually telling him about Jesus. How evil is that person that opened your eyes? He said, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't really know. I have not seen him yet. I have not met him yet. But what I know is this. And then he says, I was blind, but now I see. That is what I know now. I was blind, but now I see. And the Bible gives us a beautiful scene after this. Verse 35, the Bible says that he then managed to see Jesus for the first time after this. And Jesus asked him, do you believe? And then he said, yes, I believe. There's no way not to believe after, you know, after your eyes are open. But Jesus wanted to really to, to do you believe? He said, yes, I believe. This is the man who was just blind, but now witnessing. To be a witness, and this is all of us, we need only two things. We need Jesus. We need a testimony. Jesus and a testimony. Because every testimony has a witness. And every witness has a testimony. And this is all we see through the Bible. People who did not know anything, their life was changed and became powerful witnesses. And basically sent to change the world. And because of these witnesses, we are now Christian believers. And what, one of the things we need really to, to think about all the time is that this is our generation. This is our time. This is our moment. This is the moment for us to collectively continue this mission. I don't imagine one day the history of God with his people would mention that we are the generation that did not stand for the truth of the gospel. I, I don't even remember how descendants, how other generations after us, we remember that we didn't stand up for the truth of the gospel. This is the responsibility we have. And this is actually all of us, despite of whatever we do in this life. This is the reality of life we have now as a church, as Christian believers. We are not the first one, but this time in life, we are asked and anointed and sent to continue this mission faithfully. You know, I have studied some kind of African church history. And I 
sometimes think about the first missionaries who went to Africa to preach the gospel. Life was really, really difficult. And if you go to any country in Africa right now, most of the churches, most of the theological institutions are named after missionaries who gave their life for the sake of the gospel. Life was really difficult. People were asking them, don't you have families? Why you, you, you come here? Why? And they would just say, because of the love of God. Most of them died being eaten by wild animals, diseases, drowned in the Nile. But they had a cause that they paid their life for. Because they knew that was their generation. And we are now living witnesses of that sacrifice. And that's why we continue to do this. Many of you may know that I became a Christian in the nation of Sudan. And that is 32 years ago. Wow. I'm not a young man, right? Yeah, so just a child in school. The government of the land decided that Islamic Sharia law would be implemented in the old nation. And that means changing life totally for everybody. And if somebody knows something about Islamic Sharia law, it's actually implemented in all aspects of life, how to dress, what to do, what not to do, and all these things. And the churches by that time were actually challenged because it was, if, if for example, the church said no, they may close up all the churches. And while everyone was thinking what to do, what to do, God came into the land and decided to choose young people, children in the school, fill them with Holy Spirit, and go to their schools, to universities, to everywhere to make noise. I remember in Khartoum, we used to have every week overnight prayers from six in the evening to six in the morning, basically making noise, just making noise. And thousands of young people, school children, became Christian believers, filled with the Spirit of God, and said no to the Islamic Sharia law. And that's why we have the church today in Sudan. Because children said no, we stand for the truth of the gospel. And that's why thousands of Christians were united to take this collective mission. And that's why we are today challenged. Do we identify ourselves with this mission? Sometimes um, we meet people who say that, you know, I, I don't have actually anything to give in the church, for example, or in the society, but this is actually about how we live our life for God day by day. All of us, we are in. All of us, everybody is in. Everybody is in in this mission. And that's why, in order to be effective witnesses, we need only to remember that it's all about Jesus. It's all, the center of our witnessing is Jesus. 
And the power of our witnessing is the Holy Spirit. And the evidence of our witnessing is how we live our life for God day by day, wherever we are. And those of us who became Christians in a Christian minority countries, we know exactly this. What does it mean? When one single Christian does something, that would be the news on the national TV. One single Christian, that would be the news against all Christians. And that's why even children, we feel responsible. Whatever we do must glorify the name of God and not, don't bring shame into the name of God. And finally, we have to remember that we are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. Because Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he says, you are the light of the world. So we can change the world now. This is our generation. And we can do it, all of us together. It's starting from this building. It's starting from Bedford up to Logos in Nigeria. Hallelujah. Up to all the country. We have teams everywhere right now. But we start from here. This is our collective mission. I remember... Um, Sometime in my life, uh, being a trained lawyer, I decided actually to help people who were jailed because they didn't know their obligations, they didn't know their duties, people who were just, you know, because of corruption, they were put into jail. I was just looking after these people. And one of the days, I met a young man who was sentenced to death. And because he killed somebody else, he murdered somebody else in disco. I was talking to this young man as a lawyer, as a young lawyer. I just wanted, you know, to help in a way. And then in the middle of that, he asked me, are you a Christian? I said, yes. Can you tell me about Jesus? I said, yes. You know what? I, I closed my file. I took my Bible and I began to share with him about Jesus. He gave his life to Jesus. And the next Wednesday, he was killed. He was sentenced to death. But one of the things that touched me when I came back to, I said to my boss that I resign now. I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. And then he said, are you crazy? I said, yes, I'm crazy. <laughs> I'm crazy from now on. And I want to be crazy from now on. Because I realized thousands of people, they didn't actually need a lawyer but they need somebody to tell them about life. And this young man, I'm, I always remember him because he wrote a letter to his girlfriend. He said, if you really love me, give your life to Jesus. This is our mission. This is our generation. And if anyone is a young person here, I just want to tell you that when I became Christian, we were just kids small kids, but we stand for the truth of the gospel collectively. We didn't know what denomination we belonged to. This is your generation. And if anyone is retired here, I just want to tell you that one of the, one of the pastors was introduced to be a retired minister. Then he stood up, he said, don't ever introduce me in this way. Who tells you that there is retirement in the gospel? 
He said, what we do, we change our job descriptions. And instead of me running everywhere, I will now sit down and help people to run all over the place. We change our job descriptions. If you are retired, you are actually the one to help us to run all over the place. And if you are a young person, I want to pray for you today. This is your generation. This is your generation. You have to stand for the truth of the gospel because God is good and faithful all the time. Can I ask all of us to pray as we stand? And if we can pray for young people among us today, they will know that this generation belongs to them. And from this church, from Bedford, we are going to the world to change the world because of the power of the gospel and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God, our Father, we thank you. We glorify your name because you have chosen us, you have called us to go to the world and preach the gospel. Father, we recommit ourselves this morning as a church. This is what we want to do. And if any one of us has been left behind in any way, Father, I pray this morning that you fill all of us with the power from above and we go out from this building as being living witnesses for your goodness. And I pray, Father, for young people among us that you will fill them with the power from above, the power of the Holy Spirit, so that they go to their schools, to their universities, to their colleges, knowing that this generation belongs to them. Help us to live and love you more than anything else in this world as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.